It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I feel like I say this quite often on the show whenever I have a guest, which is that there's so much that happens in the conversation before we click record. And that usually leads me to the very beginning of a conversation. And with Virgie here, I am absolutely thrilled to explore a number of different topics. And Virgie, I hope that I'm pronouncing your name properly because I suddenly got in my head. I'm like, oh, no. Did you say that some people some call you Virgie? Is that the incorrect? Whereas Virgie. You know what? I have to be honest with you. People can say Virgil, but they can't say Virgie. I never heard anybody say call someone Virgil, but they want to call me Virgie. And I think it's ever since like the Black Eyed Peas 20 years ago, whatever came on the scene with Fergie, they just, and it just drives me nuts and have to say Virgie, forgive them. They can't help it if they're not literate. Don't be judgmental, but it drives me nuts. So I'm like, you know what? If you can't say Virgie, if you think you're going to, you know, have an issue with it, please just call me Virginia. I won't be insulted. They're like, well, oh, wow, is Virginia your real name, your legal name? I'm like, no, but it's better than Virgie. Virgie is your legal name. It's my legal name. It's interesting that some people would think Virginia. I mean, this is the thing with names. I mean, it's come up with so many guests on the show where I might mistakenly mispronounce. And even if I ask somebody ahead of time, I'll get in my head and I'll start questioning it. And I think it's just a great opportunity to ask somebody how they want to be referred to, how to properly pronounce their name and you know, mindful of that versus making assumptions. That's been my big goal. But you're not on the show to talk about your name per se, although you, you are also a doctor, so you can be referred to as Dr. Virgie. We are here to talk about a few different topics, one of which I don't think I've ever explored on the show before, which is medical debt. I have talked about debt, I've talked about finances, but the medical side of things, I don't believe has come up, at least if it has, it's been very lightly addressed. And when I was looking over your work before you came on the show, I felt very compelled to discuss this because there's somebody who I'm really close with, who I'll keep their identity private, who has been experiencing a really challenging time with medical debt. And I've gotten involved to try to help this person out. And it really opened my eyes to the system in some ways. I still feel quite ignorant. It also opened my eyes to the challenges and the variables that can lead someone to that place that could be not having insurance. In this specific case, I don't believe this person had insurance, but they had a medical emergency. So they did not have a choice or even advance notice before going to get procedure done. And they were told at the hospital by a nurse, I believe, that I'm not sure if they were told they wouldn't have to pay for it or if, I know it's funny to think about, say that out loud, or if maybe it wasn't going to be that expensive. Like this person had that in their mind 
and felt very reassured. And then just as I'm sure you hear all the time, Virgie, they received not one, but I think four different very large medical bills. And I got involved because this person also has some emotional and maybe developmental challenges around handling these things. They feel extremely overwhelming. Plus, there's a big trigger there because they had a traumatic experience that led them them to the hospital in the first place. And I can understand this too. When I have to deal with the aftermath of something traumatic, it's really hard because dealing with it again is also bringing up the trauma that you're trying to move past. And that compassion I felt for this person in my life who was surprised by these bills, unexpected, and then they're still to this day like dealing with it and they've chosen to ignore it because they just can't handle the emotional weight of it. And I don't feel adequately prepared to deal with it, nor is it truly my place. That's the backstory as to why I felt so drawn to talk with you. But I imagine that there are so many people going through similar situations. Absolutely. In that story, you summarize everything (laughs) of what's wrong with our for-profit healthcare system in a nutshell. I'm just trying to figure out where to start because you just summarized everything, the great examples of every issue that's the problem with our for-profit healthcare system or with the for-profit healthcare system in this country, in the United States. So aside, I'm going to start out with Whitney talking about the perception that most of us have in this country that if we have insurance or I have great insurance, I'm okay, I'm protected. But what people don't know is that most Americans, the overwhelming majority of Americans and this people living in this country, doesn't matter what your actual citizenship is, if you get health care in this country, you are one illness or accident or injury away from a lifetime of debt. And that's those of us, even with awesome, we think we have awesome insurance This person that you're close to, that you're describing their experience is extremely common, that they think, well, if I had insurance, everything would be okay. No, it really doesn't make quite a bit of a difference, but it can take the edge off it, which is the second thing I wanted to talk about is and mention, even though having insurance in this country, health insurance in this country doesn't protect you from a lifetime of debt or stress or bankruptcy, it does protect you in some ways. And it does offer a layer of protection. So I remind people, the number one thing that folks in this country can do who are in their 20s and 30s to ruin their financial future is to go without insurance, health insurance. I do want to encourage folks to figure out, and we can talk about that if you'd like, what they want to do in terms of having just some basic health insurance If you're under the age of 29, you can qualify in the federal marketplace for what's called catastrophic insurance. It won't protect you if you get like, you get a nasty cold or virus that ends up with the bronchitis and cough that you can't get rid of. It's been going off for three weeks after a virus. Yeah, you're going to, when you have to go into see to urgent care for getting that cough evaluated, no, that's not going to cover you. That's going to come 100% out of your pocket. But God forbid you have an accident, you're on a bike and you get hit. 
hit a pothole and run into a tree or just fall over the bike like I did, hit the brake, <laughs> wasn't paying attention and went headfirst over the wheel. The catastrophic insurance may save your financial life. And, you know, things happen. And so the other thing is, Whitney, is that we think it's not going to happen to us when we're young and beautiful and I'm healthy, I bike, I work out, I'm awesome, I don't have any family history of problems. Things, life happens and you don't want to gamble on your financial future. One accident, injury, illness, and you're done. All of the hard work, savings, it'll just wipe you out. So that's one thing if you're under the age of 29, you can do. The other thing is if you're over age 29 or heading towards your 30th birthday, then you know what? Go on the, and you don't have insurance through your employer or you're not employed, you're self-employed, let's say, or you want to be self-employed, then you would go on the federal marketplace, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, or what people call Obamacare marketplace, and decide what you're going to do, what you can fit in your budget. I've also heard that people, when they go to the, the federal marketplace, the ACA, the Obamacare marketplace, that they think that the platinum, gold, silver, bronze levels means it's different level of care. No, it's the exact same quality care that is required, minimum standards that the insurance companies who participate have to meet. The difference in levels, bronze determines the difference in levels, Whitney, bronze, let's say, The lowest level, meaning bronze, is how much you have to pay in your monthly deductible. But here's the catch. The lower you pay in your monthly deductible, the more co-insurance, meaning fraction of the bill that you're responsible for. The lowest monthly premium is usually the bronze plans, but they have like co-insurance of like 60-40%, meaning you get a $1,000 bill, you end up in the ER easily, probably more likely two to $3,000. And you have a bronze insurance plan, you're going to end up with a bill, let's say that that bill is $5,000, which is not unusual, unfortunately, especially if you have an accident, you end up in the emergency room, and that's not even counting if you get hospitalized. 60% of that bill, the insurance company will cover, but you're on the hook for the other 40%. You're looking at what two thousand dollars right there that you're on the on the hook for. Whereas if you go up to the platinum level, that has a really high monthly premium, but the coinsurance may be something like ninety ten or something like that. I just want folks to be aware that is something you want to think about. Please don't go without insurance. Figure out something that you can squeeze into your budget. If you don't have like a chronic health issue, then yeah, go ahead and and go with the lowest monthly premiums if you don't have to interact a lot with the medical care system. And we are gambling that issues come up are going to be rare that I'll be stuck on the hook for that 60, 40% coinsurance. But if you have chronic medical problem, then you want to go and say, you know, I got to figure out how to get as close to platinum as I can because I don't want to, you know, adds up. I don't want to be in the hook for 40%, 30%, 20% every time I interact with the medical care system. I wanted to talk about that. So the insurance issues, but one more thing before I talk about, I didn't want your friend to feel your loved one to feel that if they had just had insurance, everything was going to be okay. It's just as likely not because of, when we can talk about that later, many things. For instance, something called surprise billing, 
with insurance until this year, January 1st. With insurance, they have great insurance, goes into, has an emergency, goes into the ER. And I live in the neighborhood. I know that this hospital takes my insurance. They're in network with my insurance. But the doctors who, the ER doctors who are employed by the facility are not. They do not participate with your insurance. People would go bankrupt from balance, um, not from balance bills, I'm sorry, surprise bills, which is a surprise billing, which is when you're, you go to an in-network facility for care and you don't have choice over the doc. ER, anesthesia, if you had to have emergency surgery, great, this hospital takes my insurance. Well, you don't know that the anesthesiologist does not. And there are private equity for-profit corporations that would make money. They built their business model over hiring docs who won't take insurance. They would say, you have to pay us whatever, we don't take insurance. So you have to pay us, you owe us whatever our bill is. And they would just make up crazy numbers. And that's how people would go bankrupt until for medical bills. And they had insurance until January 1, 2022. That's why not necessarily your loved one to feel badly that he or she couldn't, didn't have insurance. People really feel guilty when they have medical debt. It's not their fault. So I I just had to get that out of the way. Thank you for that. And I want to pause there because that's such a helpful thing. Because I think that the shame that can come up, the guilt, the wondering what if, but as I mentioned, the trauma of that too, that's another layer of trauma. As I mentioned, it's not just the bill reminding you that you went through something possibly traumatic, but it's also the trauma of unexpected financial struggle. As you were talking about, was reflecting back when I was in college, I remember going to the emergency room for something really minimal. Talking about ignorance too, and you're bringing up age, like I just moved to a different city And I had a small issue. And I think maybe my mother was like, you should go to the emergency room. It was a Sunday. And so I couldn't wait for an appointment during the week. I went in. I remember it was a really quick visit. I told them what was going on. They gave me a solution. I was in and out of that room. I had to sit emergency room for quite some time. But like actually seeing a nurse, I'm not even sure I saw a doctor, was so quick. And then I remember getting the bill. And then you got the bill. (laughs) Just getting started. I can't remember if I was still in college when I got the bill or where it was in that timeline, but I wasn't really working. Even if I was working out of college, like I was probably just getting my feet wet and trying to figure out everything and already feeling overwhelmed in my life. So that's another thing, right? Sometimes these bills come up when you're dealing with so much already and to add that extra layer on top. And I remember calling them and crying and saying, why am I getting this bill? I didn't expect this. They didn't tell me at the front desk it was going to be this much. Like, And they were just like, I'm so sorry, but they couldn't do anything. Or at least I didn't know back then what if I could have done anything, which is where your book comes in and your expertise. Thank goodness. Most of us don't know that the emergency room and a hospital, anything affiliated with a hospital, is the most expensive place to get care. Unless it's life or limb, something hit your eye, you got something in your eye, a vision issue, life or limb, you're having chest pain, you see your life flashing in front of your eyes, or you you think a limb could be broken. 
Then you go to the ER. It's for an emergency. It's not for urgent issues. Urgent care is for urgent issues. That's really helpful too. But imagine like how many people looking back, it's easy in hindsight for me to to recognize that. And thank you for spelling it out so clearly. But my heart goes out to people that just panic. And then not only could you end up in that situation, but then you start to associate medical care with something complicated, overwhelming, or you say, I guess I can't take care of my body right now. I have to wait to get care because I can't afford to get care right now by going into the emergency room. Now, urgent care centers, I've only been to once and I was actually very surprised at how great my experience was. And the urgent care I went to was covered by my insurance. So it ended up checking off all the boxes for me, but I don't know that much about urgent care. They seem a bit of a mystery to me. Like they seem like they're run very independently. Like they don't make sense. Can you explain like what an urgent care is? But they're regulated. The physicians and the, the healthcare providers there often they use a lot of physician extenders, PAs and nurse practitioners, urgent care facilities, which is fine because they are staffed with medical care professionals who know, hey, look, we need to get the doc in here. I know that urgent care facilities, it's, thanks for bringing that up, Whitney, are kind of like a mystery to folks because historically they didn't exist. You're traveling, everybody went to the emergency room because they're like, I don't know, I, there's a hospital, I can look up where the nearest hospital is with an affiliated emergency room. I'll go there if I think I'm having UTI symptoms, bladder infection symptoms. Definitely in the past 15 to 20 years, urgent care is, is really ubiquitous. And that's where you want to go when you cannot wait. That's where you want to go. But you know, it's not an emergency because life or limb or your eyes aren't at risk. That's so helpful. Thanks for clarifying that. And you also touched upon travel too. I'm curious about that. I traveled a few months ago and I actually bought travel insurance because I thought I looked into a few things. It seemed like my insurance, which is really basic, was not going to cover it. Maybe they would, but it just felt like a little risky and unknown. I also looked into my credit card. I have a travel credit card that does offer some coverage And I added on travel insurance just as like an extra layer of protection. But I felt so ignorant when I was shopping for it. I did a little of the comparisons. I looked up some reviews. I was surprised pleasantly at how inexpensive it was. I think it was like $16 to cover me for two weeks or so of my travels. But what are your perspectives on travel insurance? Is it worth the money? Absolutely. Because... Insurance generally doesn't cover care outside of the state. So if you're traveling, definitely invest again in insurance. Insurance is for you buy insurance for something that you can't afford to do or replace. You know, they have you whenever you go to like the electronic superstores and they say, do you want to buy insurance for your laptop, for your TV, for your microwave? And you're like, no. Because no, I'm not going to like it if something happens to my four-figure, big, huge, giant screen TV. I'm not going to appreciate it and it'll hurt, but I can afford to replace it and or make the choice to replace it if I choose to. Maybe I'll do something less expensive. But when it comes to things that we cannot replace, our homes, we can't replace if we get home insurance because if something happens to the house, 
fire, natural disaster, you can't afford to rebuild the house. Car insurance, you can't afford to replace your, your car, God forbid, if it's total. That's what insurance is for. And we definitely can't afford to pay five and six figure medical bills. If something happens, God forbid, we get in an accident while we're traveling or we become ill while we're traveling. So yes, please invest in travel insurance because again, you're in the States, most, I can't think of any insurance really that will cover you when you're traveling. And that's with Medicare, Medicaid. Well, I don't know about Medicaid. I can't say because states vary. Medicaid is state health insurance. Medicare is insurance for age 65 and older and certain chronic illnesses, like you have if you're on dialysis kind of thing. But Medicare does not. And generally, it does not. Uh, very, very circumscribed cases where if you live like close to the border with Canada, you get hurt or injured or sick, and you need to get transported to the nearest facility is actually on the Canadian side, then sometimes they'll, not always, the Canadian facility will submit a bill to Medicare. You're on the hook for it. You're going to have to submit that claim to Medicare yourself. So just like very, very limited issues where you really, it was an emergency and you got to the nearest facility. But other than that, Nope. And definitely, you know, private insurance, commercial insurance, health insurance doesn't pay for care that's administered outside of the states. Unless you have like a rider. Some people get riders who travel a lot. If you can afford that, yeah, you know, look into getting a rider. What is that? Apologies. Thanks for asking. I always tell people, just say, you know, Virgie, speak English. Stop speaking medicalese and insurancees. A rider is a, a supplemental plan in addition to your primary insurance plan that they offer for an additional fee that will cover a special event. Got it. You mentioned chronic illness. And I wanted to circle back to that because it feels to me, I don't have any major illness that I'm aware of. Thank goodness. Looking back over my history, certainly had some things that were ongoing. And I think so many of us struggle with things that are a little bit more on the subtle side. But for somebody who has an illness condition that is impacting their day-to-day life, I don't have a lot of awareness of that, especially when it comes to money. And it feels to me like it's likely unfair because they're probably going to fall on more financial burden Is that correct? Or are there systems in place in this country, in the United States, that can support people for something that they can't help? It's not an accident. Maybe it's something that they're born with or they develop over time. What financial situations do they typically have to deal with? I have to say, Whitney, I'm I'm trying not to laugh because I'm like, oh, isn't she cute? You know, it would be nice. But no, (laughs) we're in a for-profit system for healthcare in this country where let's be very clear, we risk dying or an early death if we can't pay for our medical bills. There are multiple studies done by different folks. And one just was released this morning. I saw this morning where the statistics show over and over and over again that people with medical bills, medical debt, they can't pay off the bill right away, are less likely to get care because they're like, the more I interact with the care system, I'm going to rack up another bill. So I'm going to try to hold out or they have to be on, you know, speaking if they have a chronic illness and they have to be on a medication, 
to keep them alive, frankly. They will say, you know what, it's really expensive. I'm going to try to save some money by taking the pill every other day instead of every day that it's been prescribed. Well, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to end up sicker and with more bills when they crash and burn, end up in the emergency room. But yeah, no one asks to be injured or sick. And that's why the federal government, and I think this administration has really tried to say, look, we're going to separate out medical bills and debt from consumer debt because no one asked for it. No one signed up. No, it's not student loans. You didn't say, okay, I'm going to take out a loan instead of like maybe doing some service for my country in exchange for like a GI bill in exchange for an education. You didn't sign up for that. You didn't sign up for student loans like we do with student loans. We didn't make that decision. We didn't sign up for medical loans and medical debt. No one wants us. It's not your fault. It's not our fault when we're sick or injured. We do feel Americans really do feel, you mentioned this earlier, Whitney, shame and guilt when they have medical bills and medical debt. And the system, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but the data is showing over again that the system is created because it's a for-profit system. Eventually, it's created such that folks are going to have debt to be able to carry and pay for it. You're going to have bills. And if you have enough resources, like anything in this country that's for profit, you can afford it. Well, if you don't have resources, the financial resources, well, then you're SOL. I appreciate how frank you are, Virgie, because I think tiptoeing around big issues like this is not doing us any favors. And there are a lot of people that are struggling financially, especially here we are at towards the end of 2022. And there's a lot of concern about inflation. There's a lot of talk about student loan debt and other forms of debt. I mean, it's on people's minds about what do they do when their income stays the same, but everything becomes more expensive. People concerned about housing. I mean, and then you add in medical care. And I wonder how many people are not taking great care of themselves, to your point earlier, because they feel like they can't afford it. And that's something that I'm also working on raising my awareness around. Because I feel like for a long time, I felt like, you know, I've always been able to take care of myself. I had that mentality. Even when I didn't make as much money, I would think, well, I can still afford this or that. And then I started to get exposed to my privilege. Not everybody is living equally for a variety of different factors, whether that's marginalized communities, whether that's how you were raised at home. A healthy family of origin. Exactly, Whitney. A brief pause here to thank this episode's sponsor, Zencaster, who makes it possible for me to record with people from all around the world to amplify different voices so that I can learn, you can learn, we can all learn together to grow. That is a wonderful opportunity that I've had because of the tools that Zencaster offers. They make it so easy to record amazing video, high quality audio, to edit it, to even distribute it if you would like to, and monetize just as I'm doing right now by working with them as a sponsor. It truly is this all-in-one platform. So whether you're wondering how I do things out of curiosity, 
Or perhaps you're thinking of starting your own podcast, or maybe you're a podcaster who wants to optimize and simplify your process. I cannot recommend Zencaster enough. If you want to check it out, you can use my code WellEvatorZen at Zencaster.com slash pricing. That's linked below and spelled out W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R-Z-E-N at Zencaster.com slash pricing. There you will receive a 30% off discount off of your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I truly want you to have the same simple experiences that I have with all of my podcasting and content needs. I truly believe it is finally time to tell your story. This assumption too, I mean, I hear these arguments around government policies, as you brought up, and some people feeling outraged because they don't want to have to pay for somebody else's medical bills. <laughs> that cracks me up. And I laugh so I don't cry, but I just find it very interesting. We just came out of this major life event that affected the whole entire globe, the whole entire planet. And we still didn't figure out that it's a public health issue. Having access to basic medical care for everyone who wants and needs it is a public health issue. We don't want, I don't want folks who don't have access to health care driving the same buses that I ride on me and mine, my loved ones are on, driving the same streets, walking down the same sidewalks, walking in the same stores, flying in the same planes, because what affects one of us, we found out, really does affect us all. Us all. It is not just a trite saying. I'm a physician. I'm a scientist. I believe in the law of gravity. I believe in science. And a rising tide really does lift all boats. It's the law of gravity. If we don't think of using our taxes or paying taxes so we contribute to the police, our law enforcement, keeping us safe, fire protection, libraries, you know, having, you know, public schools, that's not socialism. So how is me making sure that everyone has public health so that me and mine are safe? I don't understand how that's socialism other than maybe a catchword, a political catchphrase. You're going to get me on my soapbox here, Whitney, but it's a public health issue. We need to, our taxes go toward public health, public safety, and public health is part of public safety. I love your soapbox. I hope that you continue on there because I think this is really important. And that's so beautifully said about public health is public safety. And that's something I've also had the privilege of not thinking that much about. And I love the way that you outline that because I think it's interesting how in our country, there are elements in which we are encouraged to come together. And then there are times we're told to just fend for ourselves and look out for ourselves. And it's not this, we're all in this together mentality. It's, well, what every man for himself mentality. And that can be really dangerous. It's kumbaya. It's all good and all kumbaya until money gets tight, resources, whatever it is, gets tight. And then stuff gets ugly. Yes. It, that is so true because finances trigger people. And that's 
a huge part of this conversation is that if you can feel concerned about your own resources, can you not have empathy for somebody else who's likely concerned about theirs? And it's such a complex issue because people making much larger amounts than others and how did they get there? And and some people think, well, I worked so hard for this. Why should I share it? Everybody works hard. Everybody, most people, come on, work hard. But not everybody has the same opportunities. Not everybody has the same fortunate family of origin. And there are some people with horrible, dysfunctional or no family of origin, but someone else, they get into a system where someone looks out for them and helps them. The American mantra, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and working hard, you know, it's a meritocracy. That's kind of not really true. I mean, think about it. You have to have some fortune or privilege. Maybe it's the fortune of having somebody, if you didn't have a great family of origin and you're on your own and in the streets, you're in the foster care system through no fault of your own. Someone looks out for someone and there's always someone in someone's background and said, well, this person, you know, found me and paid for my education or made sure I had a place to stay or gave me, you know, made sure I had at least one meal a day while I was working under the table for cash. You mentioned, Whitney, that there is a lack of understanding and a lack of empathy for folks that don't have resources, let's say. And in this case, we're talking about the resources to be able to afford medical care. And it's only in a for-profit system where that's required. And I, I mentioned that earlier. At the end of the day, there's a saying, if a man's livelihood depends on him not understanding, he's not going to understand. So, you know, if U.S. healthcare system is a, I want to say, is a $1 trillion in total medical debt throughout the whole country, Or is it, it's probably even more in terms of how much the revenues are generated, the GDP that the healthcare system in the United States represents. That's a lot of money for a lot of folks. But if you threaten somebody's livelihood, they'll cut you. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. It's all kumbaya. It's all good. And everything's awesome when everybody has enough. But when resources get tight or someone's resources are threatened, not so much. And of course, we also have other threats. And we saw this come out during the pandemic in some interesting ways in which some people felt like their freedom was being taken away because they were asked to do certain things, stay at home, wear a mask, etc. And looking at how some people reacted to that, and I, and I don't mean to make this a, a conversation get to on one side or another, because there are listeners of the show that might not feel comfortable with certain things and they believe in these different things than I do, of course. But I did find it interesting how personal some people took these things. And I felt really moved and saddened too of the conversations that people who are immunocompromised, for example, were having. They were saying, well, this isn't just about you. When you're making some of these choices, it's impacting other people who may not have the same health as you do, who might not have that privilege. Public health is public safety. I have a family member who's an adult but has type 1 diabetes. And she, type 1 diabetes, by the way, is different than type 2 diabetes in that type 1 diabetes, you don't make any insulin whatsoever. With type 2 diabetes, you still make some, but just not enough. 
The problem with type 1 diabetes is, is that if you get a little bit sick, you don't have enough insulin to kind of overcome the reaction in your body that happens from the stress of dealing with an illness. That's why they're at high risk of complications or unfortunately even basically down the road, worst case scenario, even death, severe complications if they just get with just a minor cold or viral infection, upper respiratory viral infection for those who don't have type 1 diabetes. And there are times, I don't think that she knows that I know this or her other family members and I know this, but there were times that when she figured out somebody in her family had gotten COVID that she cried because she realized that she was going to have to quarantine with them and maybe she already has COVID and her health is at risk. She was really, really afraid. It affected her being able to travel and see her family. It affected her being able to get an education because there are some people at that time in the pandemic who did not want to wear masks and you know, found public safety issues. It makes me laugh. You know, I laugh again so I don't cry. Why do we have traffic lights? It's a public safety issue. We wear a mask when you have a respiratory, highly contagious, respiratory transmitted virus pandemic. I don't understand. But to your point, yes, Whitney, it's a, an issue where we have to think about others. It's a public health issue. Early on in the pandemic, I saw a study that someone had done looking at and I don't know why they chose Brazil. I want to say it was Brazil and maybe a part of the U.S. where they looked at people, they had them take a questionnaire and it asked them how they felt about wearing masks. And then questions that's kind of like a personality study, not study, but uh, assessing if they meet criteria that would determine that they have a certain kind of personality disorder. And it turns out that people who have more sociopathy are more likely to have a problem with wearing masks and not wear masks and not stay home when they think that they could be sick or infected. I'm just going to leave it there. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm not surprised about that. And again, it's not, I think it's easy to get into debates and people to get defensive over their beliefs and all of that. But there are so many different perspectives that you can look at things. I actually... It reminds me of something I just came across last night through the emotional well-being training I'm going through. And I was sent this little reflection exercise about finding out what biases, views, and beliefs I carry. And it comes from Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain by, I believe her, her name is pronounced Zaretta Hammond. I will link to this for anyone who wants to go through this. And it's an exercise in which you can go through and reflect on things like your ethnicity, your race, what's the story of your family, what's your economic status, what are your traditions, etc. And really just start to gain clarity on things that impact us in such big ways. Because we've been talking about privilege, we've been talking about belief systems. And I think sometimes we get to this point where we feel like that's such a personal issue. What I love that you're bringing up here, Virgie, is the impact that has on others publicly, on our safety, and the ripple effects, even emotionally, when you're bringing up this family member. I mean, it breaks my heart hearing that, to imagine somebody crying because they're afraid for their lives based on some action that someone else took that they saw as very casual. And I don't believe this to be casual. They're right. 
I am an independent person. I make my own choices. I'm an American, all of those things. And there are folks who live outside of the country, outside of the states who may or may not be American citizens. It doesn't matter. But there are some people who feel that you're infringing on their civil rights by saying you have to wear a mask to protect others, yourself and others, from this highly contagious, respiratorily transmitted viral infection. And of course, we don't have to get deep into this, but it's interesting. Some people don't do that, not from a civil rights standpoint, but they don't even believe that there's an issue happening here. And there's always going to be. That's <laughs> a different story for a different day. We're in- exactly. But it kind of goes into, I think, these th- this conversation around misunderstandings, not understanding the system, having different beliefs around what's going on in the world. And how are we supposed to come together and find a system that works when people are coming at it from all these different angles and beliefs? Well, you know what, Whitney, just because I don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. There are people who believe that the world is flat and it's not true. There are people who don't believed at a certain time in history that the world was round. And it turned out to be true, but it's your belief system. It is what it is. It doesn't mean whether you believe it or not does not mean that it's true or not. So if you have, again, science, if you want to depend on science to keep you safe and like engineers, you know, doing traffic studies and determining speed limits, appropriate speed limits, where to put traffic lights, that kind of thing. If you depend on scientists to tell you, okay, what historically since the 18th century vaccines have putting antibodies to something and having you develop an antibody to something before you get exposed to the real deal in a big load to make you sick, that has been shown to be protective. You don't have to believe it, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. And so we can't help folks that have their own belief systems. However, with that said, what we're talking about, I believe, Whitney, is what you're saying is that, yes, we have to protect everyone from people who may not have the same belief system, that may not believe science and engineering and who may not be so into like STEM stuff, you know, cut to the chase. And this brings me to something else I've been wanting to explore with you, which is going with your gut. And there's so many ways that we could tie this into this conversation because as a segue from this conversation around COVID, there were times in which I, it's hard to go with your gut if you're in a social situation where other people seem to be acting differently than you deep down want to believe. And there's also times where you don't know if you can follow your gut because maybe you don't feel like you have enough information or maybe you don't have the right information. And sometimes you wonder like, is my gut right? Or am I following some old belief that to your point, is that based in fact? Like, how do you know when to trust your gut when it comes to something medical or financial related? It's a great question. There's a lot of layers there, Whitney, that we can dig through. First of all, we're often socialized in our, in this society, in our society, in the, I say the general culture of the United States and, and the West we are cultured to listen to other, to outside of ourselves, especially in this country. We tend to be extroverted. We value extroversion. We value extroverted folks. When you're thinking about things outside of yourself and taught and socialized to, and I should say brought up and conditioned to listen to things outside of yourself, 
you're not going to be able to recognize your inner voice. You're not going to be able to hear it. You never, if you haven't heard it, it is drowned out by outside things. You're not going to, if you've heard it, you're not really sure what it sounds like. There is a saying that God speaks to us, you know, God's universe, the truth speaks to us in a whisper. And the more you ignore it, the louder and louder it gets until it gets your attention. And unfortunately, we will get to the point where we don't hear it because of we're socialized to listen to external things, things external to ourselves. So we doubt what we hear. We're not sure what we're hearing. We're not sure what that voice is. We doubt what that voice is until the thing is so loud. Unfortunately, it'll take you out of the system of things. For instance, the story that I give often is my own story. And just to cut to the chase, I've been working for a very large corporation. And to be honest, I was a rock star. They thought, Virgie, doing all these fabulous things and all this and that, and you're training our clinicians, you know, make sure they make accurate choices and decisions about making sure folks get the care that they need. Awesome. Okay. Until I realized that I'm spending so much time, so many hours a week making sure that this company has everything that they need that I was neglecting me and my family. And meaning my husband had said something. He says, you know, you said that you like working from home because it gives you flexibility. So, you know, you can spend more time with the kids and your family says, you're not doing that. You're still working weekends and, and long days and long hours is working 60, 70, 80 hours a week or that kind of thing. And I had a person who, who was very important to me. She was actually my kid's nanny who had been diagnosed with a renal cancer. And I realized even though she was diagnosed with this kidney cancer, after she, we had moved from where we lived before. And so she was no longer our nanny. We didn't need a nanny anymore. And she was working with another family. And Whitney, I realized spending all this time working and focusing on the needs of this company and meeting their quotas. I had two jobs. One involved productivity, the number of cases I went through, which involved basically a quota. And the other, which I loved, and they really loved me doing, which was saving the company goo gobs, hundreds of millions of dollars a year and making, you know, teaching folks to do accurate clinical case reviews and making sure that folks got the care that they needed paid for. I realized that, you know what, I haven't talked to her and checked in on her to make sure that she's feeling okay about her care and that kind of thing. Now she will call me once or twice if she had a question, that kind of thing. But I was thinking, you know what, Virgie, you don't have time to take care of and do the things that are important, which is reaching, you know, making sure I reach out to her once in a while and just talk and check in with her instead of waiting for her to grab. She knows I'm here if she needs something, but she shouldn't have to just wait until it's an emergency. So I was thinking about that. And then finally, Whitney, it just hit me one day when I was told that they needed me to do more. And I remember thinking, you know what? I am less than five years out from a breast cancer diagnosis, and I'm late for my annual screening mammogram. I don't have time for my annual screening mammogram. And something in my gut was saying, Whitney, you know what? This is not right. Something is not right. I still have young kids. 
I have to make sure that their mother, I do everything I can to make sure that their mother stays healthy in this system of things to make sure, you know, to make sure that they're okay until they grow up. I kind of snapped. I was like, you know what? I'm out. I no. I said to them, I said, you, you have to tell me what you want. I can't do it all. I know I was hired to do this one thing, which is production, but you've asked me to do this other thing, which you say is awesome and you really value and, and really is very valuable, bottom line, financially valuable to the company, to the corporation, but I can't do it all. And they hemmed and hawed. And I was like, you know what? Never mind. While you're hemming and hawing, I'm late for my mammogram. And I'll never forget this. My last day was a Friday and I was like, great, you know what? I'm going to schedule my mammogram. This is going to be awesome. I'll be able to just rest and regroup and do something else in terms of, you know, some kind of other work and work for another company or maybe develop my own company. And less than one week later, the following Thursday in the morning, Whitney, I got a call that my mammogram was abnormal. It was cancer again. And I got a call in the afternoon from my nanny's daughter who was outside of the country and had no way of getting back into the country and saying, Virgie, my mother just got admitted to hospice. That was a Thursday, Friday morning, the next morning I got up and every single day I would go and sit by her bedside unless I had to have the biopsy, something related to the breast cancer, the issue that turned out to be cancer unless I had the biopsy or a day or two later, when I was still recovering from the biopsy, I was still sore or something. Those are the only days I missed. And Whitney, two weeks after that, on a Wednesday, my children's nanny died. And exactly one week after that, the following Wednesday, I had a double mastectomy to deal with a cancer that I was told by the breast surgeon was still in the duct, meaning it hadn't gotten outside into the bloodstream of the breast duct. Great. But I got a call from her the next day that she had gotten a call from the pathologist. Pathologist said to her, he says, you know what? I know I said that the margins were clear, meaning it hadn't broken through. The, the malignant cells were not outside of the duct, but you only have one millimeter of clearance, one millimeter of healthy tissue separating the cancerous cells, the malignant cells from outside of the duct or into the bloodstream one millimeter. He says, you know what? I'm sorry. You're going to have to go back in. We go back in and we clean everything out and it's still fine. We, margins are still clean. Great. But my point, Whitney, in sharing this story is that one millimeter from the kind of breast cancer that scares everyone is called triple negative receptors, which is notoriously hard to treat. That's the type of breast cancer most of us are afraid of. And if it had broken through the duct, one millimeter one millimeter from breaking through the duct. Two years, that was uh, end of 19. I wouldn't be here today. My kids would not have their mom here. So my point is with me, listening to my gut, realizing if something is not right, I'm not sure what it is. External folks want me to do something, but it's not good for me. Something is not right. I had to listen to that. My husband wasn't happy with me saying, you know what, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do this. He's like, what are we going to do for, you know, I'm concerned about us being able to pay our bills. Is there, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of not having enough resources. I'm like, you know what? It'll work out, but I need to be alive in order for it to happen. I didn't know that at the time, but anyway, my point is one millimeter, Whitney, I was days from those malignant cells breaking through the duct and I wouldn't be here today. That's why I make a point of talking about, listen to your gut. If it doesn't 
feel right and you're not sure why you can't articulate it, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Listen to it and figure out what works for you. That is a story that took some turns I was not expecting. And I just feel in this state of awe around that and this lesson that you've learned and are here to share. It's just really remarkable. And I'm curious from that, what if somebody hasn't fully learned how to trust their gut? And do you feel like, does our gut communicate with us based on levels of like urgency? Like, did you feel like it was more powerful than ever versus you mentioned a whisper earlier and maybe sometimes our guts whispering to us, but in that case, it was kind of shouting at you. It sounds like. No, a shout is, I don't feel well. I can't breathe. And I go into the emergency room and the x-ray shows that my lungs are full of fluid and it is from malignant breast cancer spreading to the lungs. That is shouting and it's meaning likely I don't have a long lifespan in front of me, according to statistics. That is shouting. You want to listen, you want to pay attention before it shouts. The louder it gets, the meaning it gets your attention, meaning it's more traumatic. And we were talking about trauma earlier. You want to listen when it's just still whispering <laughs> because it's before something happens, before it really gets your attention to say, hey, this is not right. And you got to listen. I'm not sure. I couldn't articulate to my husband why this wasn't right. I said, something is not, is wrong with this. I have to do this. He came from a background of very, very limited resources, less than no money. Being financially secure is very important to him. And for him, that looks like having a steady job, a steady paycheck and not having your own business and working for a large company, meaning well-established. And he was really frightened, but I said, I have no choice. I can't go on. I'm not sure why. We have to listen to our gut because we can't see. It's dark. We can't see what's in front of us. And we have to step out and people call it stepping out on faith. And they call it listening to the beat of your own drum. You're listening to the beat of your own drum. It's in your gut. And you may or may not be able to see. And you still have to listen to it and follow it and say, well, you know what? I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to leave where I am now and go someplace and just sit right down quietly for as long as it takes until I figure it out. A short pause to acknowledge one of the episode's sponsors today, which reminds me of how helpful it can be to simplify self-care. As we've talked about in this conversation, health can feel overwhelming. And sometimes you just need to focus on one small habit, one small priority. For me, that's often probiotics, and that's one of the many reasons I love Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's all-in-one with whole food-based ingredients, and best of all, it's affordable. It costs you less than $3 a day, which is cheaper than most people's coffee for the day. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements, and it certainly makes it very simple. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. To make it even easier for you, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D that I love and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. 
All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash wellevator. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. I put that link in the description and the show notes of this episode so you can take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now back to the episode. I love the way that you talk about all of these complex, challenging experiences that you've had personally and witnessed with others. And it's been just such a beautiful conversation that we could just go on and on with. Before we wrap it up, I would love to know where does somebody start? They're listening to this conversation and maybe they're, hopefully they're feeling a bit uplifted and empowered, inspired, but there's still the matter of dealing with something. Maybe they came to this episode because they have medical debt and are looking for practical support. And when we were talking before the recording, you were explaining something that you have on your website that's made it easy. And I would love for you to share what you were telling me about it being something you could read and work on on the subway, I think it was. If you go to crushmedicaldebt.com, there you'll find a free downloadable checklist of the three steps of the only right way to pay a medical bill. When I say the only one right way to pay a medical bill, that is to make sure that you're not overcharged, you're not spend money or pay for services that you do not owe. And because 80 to 90% of every single medical bill generated in this country have errors, and if you can imagine, Whitney, they're not going to be in the favor of us, the patient, the public, right? They're going to be in the favor of the provider and or the insurance if you have insurance. You've got to learn the only run right way to pay a medical bill and protect yourselves and your family's financial future. You could be devastated by just not knowing. And in this country, we're the only industrialized country that requires having medical financial literacy. But in this country, without medical financial literacy, you don't have financial stability. I tell people you can go to crushmedicaldebt.com and you can find the book there, which is an easy read. It's written specifically wrote it for fourth to ninth grade reading level because people think that if it's something involved with medical care, it has to be complicated. No. If you can buy groceries in a store, if you can get your car repaired, if you can negotiate, if you bought a car new or used, if you bought anything at a uh, flea market, you can provide your own medical care payments without getting gouged and maybe even save your financial life safe. This book will save you up to hundreds of thousands of dollars if you have, if you're diagnosed with an illness or have a, an injury or an accident. So you can go there, crushmedicaldebt.com. You can find the book there. We have a masterclass, a video that you can download that will tell you in more detail, kind of like level two of what the book is. And it's very less than 50 minutes long. And Let's say you don't want to take time to do that. The book itself, door to door, you could get on a subway and and read it as less than take you less than two hours. But let's say, you know what, I can't be bothered and I don't want to do that. I don't want to read a book about it. Then just go to crushmedicaldebt.com and download a free checklist of the three steps of the only right way to pay a medical bill and save your financial life. That is such a, a gift because as I mentioned from the beginning. I have a personal reason 
to learn this. And, and I think that's worth pointing out too. It's not always about you. I'm not dealing with medical debt right now. Although I will say something we didn't touch upon. I do have some medical debt from my dog. I have st- been very strategic about it and I'm not concerned. So that's why it doesn't come to mind. But pet insurance and pet medical care is a whole other thing that could tie into all of this. But aside from that small debt I have, for this person in my life, I feel inspired to learn because as we've talked about so much in this episode, it's not just about us as individuals. It's about how we can take care of others. And by learning something, you can support so many other people. Sometimes somebody could come to you and you could share the link to a website like yours, Virgie, that literally changed someone's life. And it sounds insignificant perhaps in a moment if you're not dealing with it. I've also said the overwhelm that people often face when in a situation, you could be that person to say, we've got this, we're going to figure this out. And when you shared that statistic, Virgie, about 80 to 90% of bills have an error on them. Am I quoting that? Because my jaw dropped when you said that. Yep. And people say, well, where do you get that number from? That doesn't, that can't be true. Well, you know, don't take my word for it. Do your own research. Look it up. I've seen many, many statistics that say 80%. I've seen some that even say 90%. So don't take my word for it, but just let me let you know. Because the system, it sounds conspiratorial, because the for-profit U.S. healthcare system understands that 99.9% of the American public are not medically financially literate, they take advantage of it and they send you bills that they call them bills, but they're really not bills. And you pay them and think that I'm going to have to get a second, get a HELOC, a loan on my home or spend all the savings I was using for a down payment for a home for my family, get a loan or just liquidate my 401k or IRA I've been saving for my retirement to pay it off. And you may not know any of it. I mean, that is reason enough because it feels to me like, again, not just about you, but maybe by taking that action, you're contributing to a ripple effect for the system of saying like, we're not going to let you take advantage. Exactly. You're taking care of your family and friends and loved ones. You're taking care of your loved ones. You're taking care of each other. And think of how much more good you could do in the world with that extra money, not just paying your bills necessarily, But would you rather put it towards the medical system that might be charging you unfairly or use that money to pay it forward in some other way? I mean, I just feel the financial ramifications can be so huge. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for taking the time to share all of this incredible information with me and on your website. And for the listener, as usual, there is a full transcript of this episode There will be a video uploaded if you want to see Virgie's radiant self and her impressive bookshelf and nice plant. I just love your whole (laughs) ambiance that you're in right now. But also you, you just have this warmth about you that I think can be conveyed through audio, but is even better through videos. When that is on YouTube, it will be embedded into the show notes with the transcript and the links to everything to make it easy for you, the listener. That is at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Thank you, Virgie, for being here. Thank you to the listener for taking the time to listen to this important conversation and consider how much this impacts us all. I feel 
deeply inspired. Like I just want to get up and help this person in my life and pass it on and also feel more equipped for myself. Because as you mentioned, life happens. And unfortunately, it's probably only a matter of time until I'm faced with something. And so if I can feel more educated about this now, I feel like it kind of gives me some sort of (laughs) benefit for the future. Whitney, thank you so much for what you do. I mean, this platform is super helpful, just having conversations about life and wellness. You know, we're all in the system of things together. None of us are going to get out alive, right? So we have to take care of each other. And by learning, you know, we can take care of each other. A rising tide really does lift all boats. So thank you for what you do. And thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 